All right, open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 15. I remember years ago, I was driving through Chicago, and I saw a Volkswagen Jetta go by. And I noticed the car because it was a, kind of a hopped up one. It was pretty cool. And I looked at the license plate, and it said, No Hope. No hope. Can you imagine having no hope? There might be someone here today, and, and you've, you've reached a place in your life where you just don't see a lot of hope for the future. I'm so thankful that God, through His Word, through the ministry of Jesus Christ on this earth, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, that we have hope. And remember, for the believer, it's not, well, I hope so. It's confidence in the future. We can have confidence in the future. Now, how many of you, you kind of lack confidence in our political system right now? Any of you? Right? I heard Ben Shapiro. Oh, this doesn't offend you. But I heard Ben Shapiro. I thought it was really funny. He said, we have the choice between a man who knows nothing and the reanimated corpse of the Bride of Frankenstein. So those are our two choices. <laughs> it's right after she had her, her... Did you see the video of her trying to get in the car? You know, she's doing this thing. And, uh, you know, when you look at the, the, the debate, I'm listening to these two people. Now, I didn't get to watch the debate. I saw some highlights of it. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Again, Ben Shapiro, he said this right after the debate. What did you people do? <laughs> How many of you felt that way as you were watching it? And you look at what's going on in the world, and you're saying it seems like people don't have any answers. Sometimes it just feels like there's no hope. You watch what's going on in the football games, and you've got young people who think that America is horrible. Can you imagine thinking that the country that gives you freedom, that you think that that country is horrible? For some of them, their experience has been horrible. My experience hasn't been horrible. My experience has been great. It, it, it's such an interesting thing when you look at what's going on in the world and it just seems like we, we're surrounded by people who have no hope. And I can promise you this, the Bible gives us genuine hope. Because i got to tell you, if you put your faith in man, you're going to be disappointed. You put your faith in a politician, you're going to be disappointed. You put your faith in the stock market, there's a good chance you're going to be disappointed. You put your faith in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're going to be disappointed. But look at the Bible says in Romans chapter 15, and look at verse 13. Now the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that a good verse? Let's read that out loud together. And in the overflow, I want to hear you all real loud. Let's, let's read this together. Romans 15, 13. Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. And you've given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. You've given us everything we need for hope. Lord, help us for a few minutes to focus on your word and to see how this works in our daily lives. Lord, your word is so relevant for every area of our lives. Lord, help us to uh, be focused on that. Help us to leave here different than we came in. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you know, we can focus on all of the things in the world that are going wrong, but the Bible here gives us some elements of hope that can be a real blessing to us. And the first thing that I want you to see in the context is that hope comes from strength. Hope comes from strength. But we need a biblical perspective on strength. Look at verse 1, chapter 15 and verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Do you know that it's possible to be strong in the Lord? The Bible says, be strong in the Lord in the power and in the power of His might. Did anybody here ever watch Popeye? Right? And so Popeye's in trouble, Bluto is there, and, and olive oil. And I always wondered why they'd fight over olive oil, because she wasn't really that good looking. You know what I mean? And she said, oh, Popeye, and that voice, you know, I would just run as fast as I could. Um, <laughs> but they would fight, and Bluto would be beating Popeye, and then what would Popeye do? He'd eat the spinach. And then, you know, he'd change and the, the pipes would come out and here we'd, he, would, he would beat up Bluto. Wouldn't you think eventually Bluto would learn? You know, uh, I, was, I was wimpy. I'm looking for the hamburgers. Hang the spinach. I want the hamburgers. But you would see Popeye, he would get this strength. And now, I know I'm going to disappoint some of you. That wasn't true. It's a cartoon. Okay? It's not real. Um, although eat your spinach, especially boiled and really mushy so it's nasty. It won't do any good. I just like to watch you eat it. Um, for the believer, for the believer, the Holy Spirit is our spinach. And the difference between Popeye and the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit's real. And that it is genuinely possible to be strong in the Lord. Now, don't, don't raise your hand here. But I'd like to ask you right now, this is just to answer this within yourself, are you strong in the Lord right now or are you weak? And so we have two different groups of people identified here in this first verse. And it says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So the Bible says it is possible to be strong in the Lord. Now, this is not arrogant. There's a, we need a biblical perspective on strength. So let's get that. Go to 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians, keep your place in Romans, but go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And you remember the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. You know, lots of people speculate, but we don't have any idea what it was. And he had prayed to God, if you look at verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. The Bible says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. So, you know... Remember, God used Paul to write most of the New Testament. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this one thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, verse 10. Uh, I don't think that verse 10 would be the typical verse that a 21st century Christian would claim. You know, again, this is one that I don't see on a pillow. I don't see needlepoint that is framed with this verse. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It is so interesting what Paul is willing to glory in. Look at it again, verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. How many of you are really glad when you're sick? Now, when you get to stay home from school, I get it. But I'm talking about real infirmity, where you're genuinely in pain. I'm thinking about poor Shauna. You know, she just had that C-section. And, and all of you men who are thankful to be men, say, Amen. amen. <laughs> that might be the biggest amen I've ever gotten right there, man. When you start talking about C-sections, hallelujah for that chromosome, whichever one it is that made me me. I'm glad there's no confusion here, but that I am a man. Man, it's really hard when you're going through that pain. And it's very difficult to be thankful through that pain. Now, the good news, that pain's going to go away. But there are some things. You might have a disease. You know, you might have arthritis. You might have a bad back. Who here has never experienced a bad back? You've never really had trouble with a bad back. A good portion of us. How many of you do have, you've experienced back trouble? Man, I'm just telling you. When you've not experienced it, there's times you just can't move, you know, because everything's connected to that. You just can't move. That's infirmity. How many of you, when you're going through that, you're saying, thank you, Lord, this is so awesome. I glory in this. I find my identity in back pain. (laughs) It's so interesting because now, you know, 21st century America, you can take a pill, right, or several. Stay within the recommended dosage, please. And all of our pharmacists said, amen. <laughs> Where's Bob Curlis? Well, he must be in the nursery. He went downstairs. That's right. Um, <laughs> that was such a, amen. I like it. Um, it's, hard to, it's hard to be thankful for pain. Look at the next one. It says, so verse 10 again, therefore I take... Pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches. You know, one of the hardest things for people to endure is criticism. And you see that in politics, you know, where you'll see a conservative try to appease the liberal media. And it's never going to work, so just do what you're going to do. And yet you see that influence, what people want to be liked, they want to be accepted, when we should glory in that. Okay, so we believe in that the Bible says that marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman for life. All right, that's, that's the view of Scripture. And that, that's what God wants us to do. I'm thankful for that. Amen? Marriage is a good thing, the Bible says. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. The Bible describes a good wife as a treasure, And when a man provides the kind of security and love and support uh, and nurturing for his wife, that wife has found a good thing in her husband. Marriage is a good thing when it's done properly. But i got to tell you, when marriage is wrong, it's horrible. It is horrible. I was watching a TV show, and this guy said he was going to get married. There's a bunch of military people. And the one guy said... um, No, find a woman you hate, and then all the guys said together, and buy her a house. (laughs) Dave Spicer's the only person in the room laughing. (laughs) 
that's funny. But that's, some people, that's the view of marriage that they have because their marriage was so horrible, so horrible, they end up hating each other. Can you imagine hating your spouse? It's just wrong. It's just wrong. Marriage should be done right. So we at Grace Baptist Church, we teach traditional marriage. We, we teach what the Bible says about marriage. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Wives, submit unto your own husbands in the Lord. All of these things that the Bible teaches, it's right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The Bible tells us what the home is supposed to be like. And later on in the, in the year, uh, starting the second or third week in October, we're going to be doing a series on strong homes, strong families. And man, the, the home is vital for society, isn't it? And yet, when you say that, there are people that are going to call you a hater, a bigot, uh, you know, all these horrible names. You know what we should say? Thank you. Thank you. Man, I love the Lord. I love what God said about it. If you hate God, then you're going to hate me because I love God. I'm sorry that you hate me. I'm going to be kind to you. I'm not going to be mean to you. But, man, if this is who you are and you identify yourself as hating God, bring it on because I love Jesus Christ and I'm going to glory in those reproaches. I am thankful for the reproaches of people who hate God because that tells me that I'm doing right. I have a book by a guy named John Kilpin or about a man named John Kilpin. He lived in the uh, early 1700s. And his grandfather one time was mugged. He was beaten up and he was thrown into a ditch. Now, remember, in those days, the ditch, it carried all the sewage and stuff. I mean, it was nasty. So he was beat up. And what happened was they thought he was John Bunyan. How many of you have heard of John Bunyan? John Bunyan was a preacher of the gospel. He wouldn't, you know, the state church, the state controlled the churches in England in those days. And so you had to preach what the state wanted you to preach. And John Bunyan said no, and he did what he was going to do, and he went to prison for 14 years because he said he wouldn't stop preaching. He was a great man of God. Here's some of you might know this better. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have heard of Pilgrim's Progress? That's John Bunyan. And so this man was beaten up, and he was thrown into a ditch. And when he was asked about it, listen to what he said. What an honor it was to be confused with that great man. Isn't that cool? You know, it's even better than being identified with John Bunyan, being identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we're willing to do that, there is strength. There's strength. That's biblical strength. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Go back to Romans chapter 15, verse 1 again. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And then look at what it says. And not to please ourselves. See, it's all good. You know, this idea of being strong in the Lord and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and receiving reproaches, and that's all good until we find out, well, what that means is don't please yourself. Don't please yourself. Remember, how many of you remember the commercial, the L'Oreal commercial? Because I'm worth it. And just so you know, this is all natural. This is, man, I was in, I got to tell you, I was kind of offended. One of the preachers in Kansas City told me I looked like Colonel Sanders. <laughs> I thought, man, I'm finally getting the beard to come in. It might start to look cool. Colonel Sanders. I don't own a white suit and I don't use a cane. I do eat the chicken, though. Um, I have no idea why I just told you that. There was a point to it. (laughs) This understanding of strength, this understanding of 
of hope through that strength, it, it comes down to a very practical thing of this. It's not about you. If you're strong, when you're weak, you need somebody to help you. And it can be about you when you're weak. Aren't you glad there are people that care about you when you're weak? Amen? But you're not supposed to stay there. You know, you're not supposed to cause your weaker brother to stumble. How many of you know that that's what the Bible says, that you're not supposed to cause your weaker brother to stumble? But there's something implied there, too. Don't be the weaker brother. Right? We're all supposed to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. But there are times when we're down and that we need help. And the thing that the strong people need to do at that time is, remember, it's not about you. It's not about what I want to do. It's not about what I need. It's about what the other person needs. And that outward focus of ministry, it changes everything. Well, I don't really like the color of the walls. Oh, well. Um, I, don't, I don't think brown is appropriate for worship and... Okay, fortunately, I don't care. (laughs) It is so interesting when ministry becomes about the people. Now, you know that that's the church at Laodicea in the book of Revelation. Laodicea means rights of the people. And so it's think of me, church. What's in it for me? What am I going to get when I come? We'll give you a pony. We'll wax your car. We'll give you an oil change while you're here. Anything you want. Please just come and grace us with your presence. That's not what the church is about. The church is about bringing glory to God and focusing on others and turning the attention outward through the lens of Scripture and helping people that are in need. And what is their greatest need? Their greatest need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now go back to our text. The hope that comes from strength. First of all, I want you to see this, that biblical strength is pleasing to others. Biblical strength is pleasing to others. So if you're obnoxious, that's not biblical strength. That's offensive. Biblical strength is pleasing to others. Look at verse 2. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. So biblical strength is pleasing to others. What does that mean? That means that we need to be able to represent Christ. We need to be strong in the Lord. We need to be strong in the faith. We need to be strong in doctrine. We need to be strong in the gospel. But we need to be winsome in our presentation. When, as we interact with the world, we should be people the world wants to know, not people that the world hates to see us coming. And so if your strength is offensive, then that's a problem. If your strength is pleasing to others so that they can hear the gospel, that's a blessing. Now, there are stands that we're going to take as believers that are offensive to modern civilization. We can't do anything about that, but we can be kind to people. We can be kind to people. Let me put it this way. We are against gay marriage at Grace Baptist Church. Amen. We're against that, but we want to be kind to everybody. Why? Because those people, Jesus Christ died on the cross for them. He loves them. We need to be kind. We need to be kind. All the belligerence, the gay bashing that's taken place in the past, people beating people up and hurting them, it's very difficult to beat somebody up and then give them the gospel. You know, we got to love people. 
That, that kind of stuff is sin. It's wrong. It's wickedness. We as a people, we need to be gracious. We need to be winsome. We need to live lives that please others. Uh, I was talking with the pastor in, uh, in Missouri, and their, their uh, city it would be similar to Sydney. And one of the things that I talk about here in Sydney is that, that German background... That all, how many of you know any Germans that live around here? Anybody? You know any Germans? I mean, these people, their Christmas lights are down December 26th. Boom. Everything is cleaned, cleaned up. Everything's put away. I don't know how they do it. But all of that stuff, it's very important to our culture. So what should we do as Christians? Trim your bushes. Mow your grass. Pick up your trash. Pastor, I don't know that that's in the Bible. It is. Please your neighbors. Be kind to the people around you. That's not the social gospel. That's having a good testimony so that your truth can get through to them. Don't, don't live your life to please yourself. Have an outward focus. So strength, biblical strength, pleases others. Then, next thing that I want you to see is biblical strength is edifying to others. Look at verse 2. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. See, I want my life as a believer... I want my life to encourage the people around me. Man, I love it when I, I had the opportunity to lead my neighbor to the Lord. And he said that he's sitting in my living room and we got done. His wife is saved. He wasn't saved. And, and he looked at me and he said, he went like this. He said, I feel all clean inside. Man, if we had been lousy neighbors, we never would have had that opportunity. You know, he likes to have get togethers. They have a swimming pool and all. And I like to keep my yard nice. All right? I'm kind of a fastidious guy. And he wants to park cars all over my yard. What did I do? I let him park cars on the yard. Why? I want to be a good neighbor because he's more important than my yard. Can you imagine someone going to hell over your grass? Over silly stuff? Do you know what their dog did to my yard? I want them to go to hell for eternity. I think your priorities might be a little out of whack. What do you guys think? And so this is the idea. I am supposed to build up edif edification, build up my neighbors. That's what biblical strength does. So biblical strength is pleasing to others. It's edifying to others, but it's also impervious to the reproaches of others. Look at what it says in verse 3. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. All right? So Jesus Christ was willing to bear the reproaches of society, of his neighbors, of all of those things for the truth, but he lived a life. He lived a life. Now, how many think Jesus Christ was spiritually strong? Anybody? And he was willing to bear the reproaches of others. We can be pretty sensitive. You just don't know what they said about me. Man, I'm not on Facebook. You know why? I don't want to know what you all think about me. <laughs> That's not really true. I care what you guys think about me. But society in general, man, I don't want to know what they're saying about me. Because it's not going to change anything that I'm doing. We just need to do right. We need to do right and be willing to bear reproaches. Um, then, so there's the hope that comes from strength, but then there's also the hope that comes from Scripture. Look at what it says in verse 4. 
For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we might through patience and comfort of the script that, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So you see here that, that, that the scriptures, they give us hope. How? How does that happen? Well, first of all, scripture provides learning. Scripture provides learning. There's stuff that you can only get in the Bible, like die to self. Die to self. Man, that's a whole, so much different. You know, uh, the, the Christian funeral should never include, I did it my way. Because your way stinks. Right? Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. Your way stinks. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. We need to walk in His way, not in our way. My way is bad. His way is good. I'm thinking of the honest preacher from the kickoff. Stop it! And if you haven't seen that, just Google honest preacher. It's one of my favorite things. I need to learn to throw a fit like that guy did. It's just awesome. But listen, my way is lousy. I need to walk in His way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Bible says, speaking of Jesus Christ, it's so important that we understand that we are to walk in his way. The Bible says, you say you believe in him, then walk even as he walked. We're supposed to be different in the world. So what does the Bible do? The scriptures give us hope because I know what to do. Have you ever been in a situation where you had absolutely no idea what to do? You don't have any idea. I remember a car broke down one time. I was on my way to see a friend. We were coming from Indiana, going to Georgia. We broke down in Chattanooga. And here was the problem. The steering wheel locked up. How many of you recognize it's tough to drive a car when the steering wheel doesn't work? Right? And so this girl that's with me, she's the fiancé of, of, of my buddy. She looks at me because I'm the guy. What do you think we should do? I have no idea. Man, I did everything I could to get that steering wheel unlocked. I finally just broke the steering column and got in there and fixed it. And all of us have been in situations where we don't have any idea what to do. We don't know. The Bible tells us. Uh, The darkest day of my life was when our son Riley died. And... I didn't have any idea what to do. All I could do was bury my face in a pillow and just cry to God and say, oh, God. And Keith Kaiser was one of my teachers in college, and he he was at the church. And he just came with the scriptures and just read some scripture and just wept. Mike Fox was another man. He just came and, and just wept with us and read the scriptures because what they knew, what they knew was that there's hope in the future for the child of God. And I knew that intellectually, but I was really struggling experientially at that moment. I was really struggling with it. And some of you are in a strait like that right now where you just don't know what to do. Do you know what the scriptures are going to do for you? They're going to give you hope by telling you about your condition, about the human condition, about the greatness of our God and the hope of eternity the reality of a future with Christ and the joy that comes with that when we get to live with Him in a world without sin. That is learning, and that's just one small example, learning. So Scripture, there's hope that comes from Scripture. Scripture provides learning. And then look at at the text, verse 4. It also provides patience. Wherefore, 
The things where, I'm sorry, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We learn what patience is. Now, I'm not going to take the time to trace this down, but we, if you look up the word patience in your Bible, there's always looking, there's always a view toward the return of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something that's really cool? This isn't all there is. This isn't all there is. And when things get really bad, the only deliverance that you might ever see is the return of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Jesus Christ is coming back. So what the Bible teaches us is patience. Patience. Aren't you glad this world is not my home? I'm just a passing through. And, and i got to tell you, my attachment to the world, it lessens. It lessens. I've told you before, when I was a kid, I didn't want the Lord to return because I wanted to get married. Amen? And now that I'm married... I say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. <laughs> I love that. It's so funny. Um, but does anybody else, you kind of know what I'm talking about? The older you get, the, the less the world is attractive to you. See, when you're young and everything is before you, the world can become very attractive. And let me say this. God has provided you wonderful things in this world. When you do it right, your life can be amazing. God has given Laura and I just an amazing life as we try and be obedient to his word. So, you know, we're not aesthetics. We're not going to, you know, eschew everything in the world that is, that is of the world. No, 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 we're not going to do that. God has given us everything richly to enjoy, the Bible says. Aren't you glad for that? There are things that we can look forward to. But you know what I really look forward to? The presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's, that's the, the idea of patience. So through the scripture... Scripture provides patience. And then Scripture provides comfort. Do you see that in the verse, verse 4? For whatsoever things were written aforetime uh, were written for our learning. Now that's talking about the Old Testament. That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. You know, there's, there's, the world can't give you comfort. Now it can give you some physical comfort, right? Hallelujah for air conditioning. When it's, how many of you really wish there wasn't air conditioning right now? Anybody too cold? See? Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm glad for air conditioning because y'all are awake. See, if it's not cold enough to hang meat, you go to sleep, and so we try to keep it a little cold. Um, man, I'm thankful for air conditioning. In the summer, in, in the wintertime, it's about to get cold. How many of you are thankful for heat? So the world can give you comfort. I'm very thankful for Big Macs. Big Macs give me comfort. I love them. God has given us the Big Mac. And I'm thankful for things. And how many of you can see that I, I, I've had too much comfort in my life? <laughs> I have won the battle against anorexia. It's true. I'm doing okay. We, we do recognize that there's comfort in the world. But when you're really in trouble, when you're in that time, when you need something that only God can give you, the Big Mac doesn't help. The nice car doesn't help. The warm home doesn't help. There's comfort that only comes from the Scriptures and that can only come from God. And we that are strong, when you're weak, or when you're strong and I'm weak, sometimes the comfort of chicken noodle soup is nice. And isn't that what Christians do when somebody's in trouble? They bring them carbs. <laughs> Have you all noticed that? It's true. Sometimes they bring lasagna and, you know, that's like the... the Thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to... I don't like lasagna. So, so people try to bring comfort through food, and that's okay. But what the people really need is the comfort of the Scriptures. 
the comfort that only comes from God. And then there's hope because what I learned from the Scriptures is that God knows exactly what I'm going through. He knows right where I am. He has a plan for my life that doesn't seem comfortable for me, but I trust Him because He's good. There's so much to learn from the Scriptures. The hope that comes from Scripture. Scripture provides learning. Scripture provides patience. Scripture provides comfort. And, of course, Scripture provides hope. And then I want you to see this. Uh, this is, I don't know how much more I'll be able to get through this morning, but I want you to see this. I want you to see the hope that comes from like-mindedness. Look at what it says in verse 5. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. And I, I, have you ever noticed that the Bible's really timely? Have you noticed that? It's relevant for all times. So let's read on. I want you to see this. That you may with one mind... And one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, that's Jewish, for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. So what did Jesus do? He fulfilled the law. Everything in the law pointed to him. Then look at what it says, verse 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with His people. What do we see here? That we're all one in Christ. There was no greater division in that time than the distinction between a Jew and a Gentile. We are one. How many of you have seen the signs, Black Lives Matter? James Knox sent me a picture, and it was um, a T-shirt, and it said, Calvinism, hashtag some lives matter. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Um, so th this, is, this is really a big deal. See, uh, for us, probably for most of the people in this room, when you see something that says black lives matter, your immediate thought is, no, all lives matter. It's not white lives matter. It's... All lives matter. And so now understand to the culture, when you say all lives matter, what they're saying is you're missing the point. There are injustices that, that minorities are experiencing that need to be addressed. How many of you recognize that many of the people, that's what they're saying? Now remember, the founders of Black Lives Matter were Marxists. They're just trying to disrupt. They're, they're not really interested in the problems. They're just trying to cause dissension among the people. It's working. Now listen, if you've grown up in an inner city school like Chicago where 15% of the kids can read, Detroit, 10% of the kids can read at grade level. There's no jobs. There's no, there's no hope in your community for any kind of life. What you're going to do is you're going to look outside and you're going to say, what about us? Who cares about us? Now, Anybody who studied history knows there's lots of reasons why there are those troubles. If you grew up in a, a big city in the South, there were times when the police simply did not police those people. They didn't go in there. And so they policed themselves. And what happens when you're policing yourselves? There's a lot of vigilantism. That's the history behind there was always a higher murder rate in the black community. And so now that murder rate has continued and there's all kinds of contributing factors. And let me tell you something. This is vital. 
if we as primarily white Christians, if we respond racially to the issue, there are going to be people that we can never reach with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look, you guys know I'm just to the right of Genghis Khan when it comes to politics. I am a conservative, but I'm primarily a Christian. Christian first. And as we interact with these subjects, we need to understand that there are people on the other side of this that are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we have interaction with them, it needs to be around the Word of God. You see, there are people that are trying to divide people along racial lines, along economic lines. They're trying to divide us that way when the Bible says that as believers, we're supposed to be like-minded in the Lord. There's supposed to be a oneness here. Now, it has to be oneness around the truth. Marxism is wickedness. It's wickedness. It's, it's atheism. It, it violates the laws of private property that God established. We understand that social justice doesn't exist. There's only justice. That's it. So we understand all of those things. But if we react in racial ways and we allow demagogues to divide us, we are not like-minded. We don't have the oneness in the Scriptures that we must have. How many of you think the Bible's relevant? The Bible is relevant. And i got to say, there has been a history of evangelical Christians just being wrong on this stuff. Just being wrong. Now, the people in charge of Black Lives Matter, they're completely wrong. They're completely wrong. All of their information is lies. They're completely wrong. The people who are being sucked into it, these athletes, they don't have any idea what they're being used for. So we don't need to respond in hate to people when we have the opportunity. We need to teach them to rescue them from the lies that they are being told. And then we need people to behave. We need people to behave properly. So there's my political statement for the day. Um, so the hope that comes from like-mindedness. Like um, let's just finish this. Look at what the Bible says. I want you to see the hope that comes from praise. Verse 11, And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and laud Him, all you people. Do you know what the problem, I think, is that we have in many segments of Christianity is we're looking at this and we're looking at this instead of looking at Him. And when I look at Him, I gain the right perspective for this. Because, can I, I'm going to say something that's going to shock you. The Black Lives Matter people don't care about Jim Alter's opinion. How many of you are surprised by that? Right? So I can get into conversations about that all day long. It's not going to accomplish anything. What if I tell them about my great Savior? What if I tell them about the, the, promise that God, the promise that God has for them, the life that God wants to give them? Because I can promise you this. Do you know what discipleship does? Discipleship in our economy, in a capitalistic system, discipleship will make you a better employee. Discipleship will make you more earnable. Now, this is not the health-wealth gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is if you're a better employee, you'll make more money. Is that true? Hey, do we have any employers here? If you have a good employer, are you going to pay them more? You want to keep that person? Is that right? That's common sense. That's common sense. You can't make anybody give you anything. That's called theft. But when you allow the Holy Spirit of God to get into a person and through the hope 
of the future that God gives us, the hope of strength that comes from Him, the hope of the Scriptures. And then they come in and they see people from every race, from every continent, from every kind of economic or social background, from every kind of family background, when they find that in a church that is following the Lord Jesus Christ, where biblical discipleship is being practiced, where we're growing in the Word, all of a sudden, all of those differences start to fall away. They fall away. And what do you have? A group of people praising God with one mouth, the Bible says, and with one mind. And that sense of belonging, that sense of community, that sense of oneness that God put in every man to desire, now they experience the fullness of that in the family of God. And that's hope. How many of you know people that feel alone and that could use the hope of a godly family? You know people that are like that? Well, then we need to be that for them. We that are strong to bear the infirmities of the weak. And then you know what the result of all of this is? Look at verse 13 again. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. See, I'm not looking for the government to give me hope. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. I'm not looking for the world to give me hope. I'm going to get that through the Scriptures. I'm not looking for learning from the world. I'm getting the learning from God, and then I understand the learning of the world through this. It's either good or it's bad based on this. That's the hope that we have in Scriptures. Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad we have the answers? We can be strong. But if you're weak right now, you've got a church around you that wants to help you. There are some strong people here that are going to bear your infirmities. There are some strong people here that want to hear from you and they want to help you. That's what the church is about. The most important thing is that you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you died today, are you 100% sure that you're going to go to heaven? If you're not, there's no hope for you other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of it will settle itself as you submit to His Word, but you've got to start by being saved. Amen? Let's all stand together. There's something really important that I want to say to you. If you are saved, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, are you strong in His Word? Are you trusting in Him? i got to ask you this. If you're saved, do you have a heart that's full of racism? Do you have a heart that's full of bigotry? Don't let that happen. Don't let it happen. That's sin. How many of you agree with that? That's sin. We just, it's hurting people. Don't do that. Man, we have a political system right now that our situation, you can be discouraged. You know, there are lots of divisions right now. Let's practice the truth and let's practice the truth winsomely. Let our strength please our neighbors. Let's die to self. Let's speak the truth in love. Let's be God's people in this community. Amen? Let's sing this together.